Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be bringing out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2023. We begin with a conversation I had with education professor James Curlow about what it means to be a Catholic teacher. You're going to be surprised at what he has to say. And then we reconnect with high school chaplain Andrew Hall. He's the chaplain that runs a worship band program. Today we get to hear from him and from three of his students. In our second half hour, Pat Vidmer, president of Life Canada, tells us all about a new pro-life resource for teenagers. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with singer-songwriter John Paul Von Arks, who has some new music. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at slmedia.org slash podcast. You can reach me by email, pedro at slmedia.org, and also through Facebook, Instagram, or X. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now with what it means to be a Catholic teacher. I think most of you would agree that if you're a Catholic teacher, your Catholic faith should inform not just what you teach, but the practical matters of teaching and your teaching style. If you asked me, I would say that being a Catholic teacher would have something to do with virtues, definitely with the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. So when I heard about James Curlow's new book titled The Catholic Teacher, Teaching for Social Justice with Faith, Hope, and Love, it all made perfect sense. But reading the book was not what I expected. James Curlow proposes something slightly different. And so to tell us more, I am now joined by James Curlow. James, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I guess the first question I should ask you is, what what does it mean to be a Catholic teacher? Okay, so in, in you know when I think about when I think about your question here, uh, th- there has to be a little context. Okay, yeah. so just just a brief, if you don't mind. Um, so I, I I mentioned in the book that uh, when Jesus was in uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is in northern Israel, an area I've had the privilege uh, to visit, mm-hmm. and at that location, as recorded in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, it's important to note that when Jesus stated that, these people, these disciples walked with him, dined with him, Mm -hmm. followed him. So Mm -hmm. they had a personal relationship with him. So so the question is personal in nature. So it is that same questions that he asked all of us believers uh, from right where we are, where we find ourselves in this life in the here and now. So for the Catholic teacher and what it means to be a person of faith is first and foremost to respond to that question. Who is Jesus to you? Mm. Who is he to me? That, that, it, it, that it is real, that it is authentic, that it's personal. So it is from that space right. in its authenticity that grounds what it means to be a Catholic. And for the Catholic teacher, to live out one's vocation through word and deed, it must be first grounded in that personal relationship with Jesus. And to live out that vocation is to appreciate the history of the church, uh, the right. rich teachings of scripture, right? And the social teachings yeah. of 
Right. Yeah. So, okay. And just to clarify, so when you say Catholic teacher, we mean a teacher who happens to be Catholic, as opposed to a teacher who teaches Catholic things, right? Which I suppose absolutely be the a same teacher person. who happens to be Catholic. I'm I'm yeah. glad you clarified that. Yeah. Yes. No, that's good to know. So, um, so I would have thought that you would have gone on to talk about you know the virtues, the theological virtues, which are on the title, faith, hope, and love, and and this and that. But yes. but but you you kind of took threw me off threw me for a loop there when your first or second chapter was about ecumenical and interfaith dialogue why did you feel that that was the first thing we needed to address so that's an interesting question and so just a, a little tiny context again yeah. right because <laughs> uh, nothing is done in a vacuum as you right. know right. history right. life uh, uh and, and so yeah um, I think it's important to recognize that in the year 107, uh, Common Era Time, or a AD, mm -hmm. the term Catholic was first used yep. uh, by Ignatius of Antioch, um, who likely knew the original disciples. Um, but also within that, around 40 years prior to that, the term Christian was first used mm -hmm. as recorded in, in the Gospel I mean, in the book of Acts, yeah. um, to describe the followers of Jesus. So Catholic suggests the whole, the, the, the group, Christians. And, and as many of us know, uh, uh, to mean universal, right? Right. Uh, but it must be understood that the idea of universal is an inclusive concept, mm -hmm. as emphasized by the late Jesuit scholar, uh, Walter Ong. He talks about that this universality, the meaning of Catholic is like yeast. It, it yeast expands and there are no defined limits. It's not like a closed circle, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this suggests an inclusivity and engagement with others. Uh, you can look at the history of the church, St. Francis of Assisi, when he went to Egypt and meet the Sultan of Egypt in 1219. Mm -hmm. That was a big deal. Pope John the 23rd, when he opened Vatican II, famously expressing that the church was in need to open its windows to mm -hmm. allow fresh air in, which included the need for interreligious, interfaith, ecumenical dialogue, all of which is critical uh, to find common ground, realizing there's different difference, um, uh, 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 that difference is strength. And so key to social justice work is to engage in dialogue. Right. And dialogue suggests another side, another point of view. So I begin the book with this because difference will always be among us and mm -hmm. difference must be negotiated with integrity and with respect uh, and dialogue. Yeah. yeah. No. And I appreciate that because I would have I would have thought that you start with social justice and social justice leads you to dialogue. But you, you, you flipped it around on me, and I think I, I appreciated that. And I love the image of the yeast to help me understand the word Catholic universal as something that is inclusive and not something that is a closed circle. But people, mm -hmm. people can read the book and they can understand this better if, it's, if, if your head is starting to, to spin. Um, James, what, what do you think your teachers or teachers can take from reading your book? Okay. So while the primary, you know, I just want to say the primary audience, of course, are teachers, uh, whether one works in a Catholic setting, public mm -hmm. setting, you know, private setting. Right. Uh, um, uh, but I, I think, you know, that the book would appealing to people that are not in education because I talk about the history of the church, the social teachings of the yeah, church. Exactly. 
and all those sorts of things that I think is informative. But more specifically, uh, I, for the teacher will authentically understand what it means to be a Catholic teacher, uh, a teacher of faith comes with great responsibility as a way of being, to understand that being a, a teacher of faith is a way of la life grounded in the contemplative yeah. spirit and the effort to hold oneself to an inner accountability to serve in a, a diversity of population in faith, hope, and love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, 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 I like that you said that you're you're a Catholic teacher, not just when you're in the classroom, but it's who you are, right? And and so I think it's rooted in that that we're we are Catholic. First, you got to be a Catholic. First, you got to be a, a child of God. You got to be a Christian. You got to be a Catholic, and then you're a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but you just mentioned a word that I I'm glad we have a little bit of time because I wanted to ask you. You said contemplative. Why do you think that the mm -hmm. best spirituality? And there's a whole section in the book dedicated to this. Um, why is it important or why do you think it's important that that best spirituality for a teacher is that contemplative spirituality? So uh, obviously that's a multi-layered type of question, but I'll keep it brief, right? But, uh, you know, I talk to my sons, the more we find out who Jesus is, mm -hmm. the more we find out who we are. Mm. And the more that we are immersed in the scripture in silence in quiet in prayer and listening to that inner voice uh it really grounds us in such a way speaking of the theological virtues of faith hope and love that ho hopefully emanates from us in such a way that is grounded also in humility um i have done a lot of work with the or, uh, about uh, this uh, Brazilian educator called Paulo Freire. Mm -hmm. And he's from Brazil and he talks about, be careful of being certain with your certainties. And yeah. so and so it becomes where there's always another side, another story, and that immerses, uh, uh, emerges from a contemplative spirit, spirit that is grounded in knowing Jesus and grounded in prayer, if that makes sense. It, it makes absolutely sense. But again, I would have, you know, thinking about social justice, um, you know, you're thinking more about, and, and there's a whole, of course, we don't have time now to talk about it, but maybe I'll throw it out there to, to, to pique people's interest. There's a whole section on theology liberation theology um obviously there's there's a whole section on preferential option for the poor so all these things i would not have thought that they would have been fueled best by a contemplative spirituality but of course i think everything we do should be always fueled by that by that contemplative nature um james thank you so much for uh for the work that you do i hope that this conversation has been enough to to pique the interest of our of our listeners, and especially if any of our listeners are teachers, that they're thinking like, what? Liberation theology? What? Ecumenical dialogue? What? How does that make me a better teacher? Well, it will make you a better teacher. Go get the book. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you, James, for, for all the work that you've done, for the book you've written, for sharing this book with us today, and uh, for getting us thinking uh, of how to be a teacher, you know what, in a synodal way, now that we know that the synod in Rome has started, that I think you've described <clears throat> you've described that the role of the teacher very that it's very synodal because that's what the church is. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. James Curlow is a professor of education at the University of South Carolina. He has authored several books. His latest, The Catholic Teacher, 
Teaching for Social Justice with Faith, Hope, and Love is published by Bloomsbury Publishing. Here now is the St. John's College Worship Band from 2019 with their song from that year, Heart of Fire. That was the St. John's College Worship Band from 2019 with their song from that year, Heart on Fire. In November 2019, we met Andrew and Katie Hall. You may remember that they're the couple that wrote a new song for each of their children as they were born. Andrew is a high school chaplain and teacher, and he has been inspiring his students for years using music. In fact, it's a very clever way to evangelize and catechize your students. It's not a big band or a jazz band, it's a worship band. And to tell us more, at the end of the school year, in June, I spoke to Andrew Hall and three of his students, Sydney and Izzy, who were in grade 10, and Brock, who was just finishing grade 9. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, you guys. Awesome, thanks a lot. So, and, so Andrew, explain this a little bit. So you, you, how long ago did you start doing this? Right, so I'm going into my 10th year at St. John's next year. So this is our ninth year of uh, having a worship band perform at St. John's. So I love that. So 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 having a worship band is kind of like part of your chaplaincy plan? Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, when I got to St. John's, I, um, I wasn't really sure exactly how I was going to connect with kids in chaplaincy. Like, obviously, yes, I want to share my faith, but I wanted to connect in a really cool way right off the bat. And because I'm a drummer, uh, I wanted to start a worship band and I wasn't sure how kids would react to it, but luckily they uh, reacted to it really well. And we were able to have a junior and senior worship band. Uh, we were able to go to a recording studio that year and uh, it's been awesome ever since. So, okay. Uh, so so really I'm going to, I'm going to ask, start, ask Brock a question. Cause just cause you're in grade nine. So you arrive at this high school um, and you find out that there's a worship band and you're a guitar player. Like what's going through your mind? Well, actually um, previously, like previous to the school year, my aunt's actually the music teacher at St. John's. Okay. And so she had let me know previously um, that, you know, there was a worship band and I think that they needed like a new guitarist or something. So <laughs> I had some, uh, information going into the school year and I was all for it. I was, I was, you know, excited to be a part of a band and I, yeah, yeah. nice. And, and, uh, um, what about the girls, Izzy? Um, so did you join the band last year in grade nine? So 
or two years ago, I guess. Yeah. So I kind of came in at the last of um last year. I kind of came and I sat through some of like the lit like the practices and stuff, but this was my first full year of uh the full worship band thing. Okay. And Sydney, same same for you. Did you feel it was weird to like be all of a sudden in a worship band? Like um I've actually Jesus? been here I well, I've been here the longest out of all of them. Uh Chap Andy actually came to me I believe in my first month um, at St. John's in grade nine. And he asked, hey, we have a worship band going if you want to join. Um, and it took some convincing, but I've, I've uh, kind of been here ever since. And it's it's a really nice experience. Just okay, to... let, wait, let me let me pick on you a little bit. Why did it take some convincing? <laughs> what was what was weird about um, it? I was really busy. I had okay. a lot going on with school and then with extracurricular activities. Um, and I wasn't really sure if I'd be able to kind of fit it into my schedule, but I was able to make it work and I've enjoyed that experience. So, so Andrew, how many, so we got three of the students here now, but it's a much larger group, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. We got, um, we also have Danny, our lead singer. We have Josh, our keyboard player. We have Catherine, our other guitar player. And we have Aaron missing as well. And Aaron's our uh, second dr second drummer in the band. Okay, so Brock, you're a guitar player. Maybe, I don't know if you think that you're going to study music when you go to university, you want to be a musician. Did you ever think that you would be in a worship band? Um, well, I knew that I was going to be part of like the concert band of the school. But I, to be honest, like before my aunt had told me, I didn't even know that like a worship band at high school was like, was it like, yeah, like, it was, what like, is that thing? Yeah. Yeah, but once I came in and knew about it, I, I thought, you know, I get to play guitar, I get to be in this band of these people. So I was like, I'm gonna go for it. Nice. And and Sydney, since you've been in the band longest, um, what kinds of what do you I mean, obviously, you have band practice, do you play at events? Do you play at mass at school? Like, what do you guys do? Um, we usually cover the liturgies that we do at our school. We share that responsibility be uh, between us, the junior band and the senior band. Okay. Um, we do a couple videos that we can post on our Twitter account. And I know okay. we were talking about trying to go to some churches in our area, nice. but with COVID, that's been a little difficult. Okay. And Izzy, do you, do you or anybody else in the band, do you guys also belong to like uh, any music groups at church or is this like a unique thing that you do only at school? Um, in the past, I've been part of other, uh, opportunities with singing, um, at my church, I've done like a uh, children's choir for a few years. Um, in elementary school, I did a bunch of like year. I did choir from grade one to eight. Um, I did. Okay. Like, I sang backup for uh, the Canadian tenors as well at the Sanderson Center. Okay. All right. Okay. So you're like a pro. Oh, 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 all right. Okay. So you guys, you guys, uh, you guys know what you're doing. Um, I'm interested in the songwriting. So Andrew, tell me a little bit about it. So, so how do you, cause you do this every year you have, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, you guys write original music. That's I think also part of the, the, your, your, your master plan to evangelize your students. Um, so how, how did this one song that we uh, are going to end the show with, um, how did that come about? Uh, so basically, I told the kids, you know, we have not been to a recording studio since 2019, like right before COVID. So mm. uh, I said, you know, I really would love to get back in the studio this year and bring this tradition back where we have uh, the worship band write their own song. Because I feel like that's it's awesome for you personally, like as a musician to do that, but also yeah. as part of a worship band to know that you wrote your own worship song. And it's a prayer, right? It's prayer for music. So and to share that with your friends and um 
even when we record a song, usually the next day we bring it to school and they play it as students are walking to uh, their period one class. Oh, nice. So hear your song over to the PA system in the morning is pretty cool. So uh, basically, I challenged the students to write their own song. But for most people, uh, this is their first experience kind of writing their own song uh, from in most cases. So uh, Brock took the lead and he uh, wrote a guitar track and he emailed me the demo and uh, I wrote some lyrics to it and we kind of brought the guitar tr track to practice. We brought the lyrics and then kind of everyone added their own personal spin to it. So we, nice. we added a line or word here and there. Uh, the keyboards got added. Uh, we changed the melody a bit. So it's kind of like, yeah, like a collaboration. So, sounds pretty cool. So Brock, let me, let me, since you sounds like you initiated the, the music part of it, had, had you written music before? Um, no, I just kind of always like improvise stuff and kind of threw stuff together just for fun. But this has been like my first official like songwriting. Nice. nice. And then um, how did it feel bringing it to the whole group? Did you feel that they were like changing all, all your stuff or, or were they just making it better? Uh, the thing that I brought to the group was like, it was very basic. It was very like skeleton of a song. So I'm, I, I was very happy to have everybody put in their own, uh, their own opinion on it. And it sounds a lot better than it did. So. Yeah, of course. So Izzy, <laughs> had you been, had you been in a recording studio before? Um, no, actually I have not, but my dad was really upset, uh, jealous that uh, <laughs> I got yes. to go. Okay, nice. And, and Sydney, so uh, I, I, in the year before when you were in grade nine, did you also have a songwriting experience with the, with the worship band? Uh, we did. We our guitarist who was in the band before um, and he had to move on from it due to school reasons. Um, he brought uh, and actually him and Chap Andy, they got together um, and they started just to work on um, a, a little song. Um, and then they showed it to us. And it was a very similar experience to this one. Um, but I had a more I did more on this one than I did the other one. And we kind of all chipped in. And at the end, we had a fully fledged song. So would you guys want to like do a concert or anything like that or like a worship evening or something at school? We've been invited by uh, in the past by our elementary schools to play concerts during Catholic Education Week for their schools. Nice. So this year we played um, a concert for uh, Catholic Education Week at one of our feeder schools, uh, St. Pius. Mm -hmm. uh, we also... Um, performed a concert not many songs like you know but as part of a liturgy for um saint Vincent de paul in one of their retreats that they were doing mm -hmm. so that was more of a liturgy setting but uh taking our music and playing for other people um and our senior band this year played a church this was the first time we did that since covid so i know next year for sure we want to get our junior band back in yeah. churches providing music ministry that's a great idea so maybe one last question to the three the three students is this something that you'd want to do more? Like what are you, you're playing a, in a band. It's a worship band. Do you feel like you're actually helping people with their faith or evangelizing them? Or like, what do you guys feel about this whole experience? Sit I feel as though to, to an extent we are like, we're helping people maybe find a different way to connect with it and a means they hadn't thought of before. Mm -hmm. And I've had a couple people come up to me um, at the end of a liturgy we did um, and they'd compliment us and they'd say like they really enjoyed the song and they were kind of humming along to it. Nice. I've had I, one time it was at a grocery store, uh, a girl from our school. Yeah, I was shopping for milk and she came up to me um, and she said pretty much the same thing. And I feel as though that could help someone maybe if they're not really sure where they stand with their faith. It can kind of give them a new opportunity to express sort of how they feel with it. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Izzy? 
Um, it's just this whole like worship band thing. It's just it really is just like I love being part of it because, um, when it comes to being in like from worship band from my regular school life, it's a lot more difficult because, um. I don't get very many compliments because I get more of the negativity side of people from people. Um, I've gotten that a lot in my elementary school year, but um, whatever, whatever I can get, that's not going to be like, um, like, like I'm, what I'm saying is like, I get bullied a lot, but like, it doesn't mean that I'm going to let worship and not like, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to do whatever right. I can do to enjoy what I do. And absolutely. My, my friends do, say like I did good jobs and stuff um it's still like it's very it feels so good because I know that um what I'm doing is actually good for uh, others and not just myself yeah absolutely and you're part of a family um Brock you get the last word yeah I just feel like music's like a great way to you know pass on you know joy and happiness and positivity and I feel like that's that's uh one of our main goals here at the worship band and I think we're doing a good job of it yeah, you guys are, um, uh, Mr. Hall. Why is this idea not like uh, other schools? Like, I think that when I first heard about this, I thought every high school should be doing this. Um, you should uh, take this on the road. This is a great idea for chaplaincy. I mean, thanks. Well, I know not uh, every chaplain maybe has musical abilities, right? So I know if I, I don't know, tried to start a, I don't know, games club at St. John's or. Uh, yeah, I don't know something else, any type of club. Like, I don't think people would buy in because maybe I'm not as. Uh, I think hopefully kids can buy into my passion for music and um, seeing it as an authentic way to to pray. And uh, so I just think every chaplain should use their gifts, whatever they have, whether musically or not, and uh, help kids uh, to come closer to God in their faith. So, uh, but yeah, it'd be awesome to see this at uh, more high schools for sure. Absolutely. Okay. We're going to have to leave it there because we're out of time, but it's been so good meeting the three of you on uh, congratulations. I look forward to more super music from you guys next year and, uh, and, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Absolutely. Super, uh, great. And, and Mr. Hall, thank you, Andrew, for, uh, for bringing your gifts and sharing it with your students. Awesome. Thank you, Pedro. That was a conversation I had with Andrew Hall, chaplain at St. John's college in Brantford, Ontario and some of his students from the worship band last year. You can check out the work of the chaplaincy at the school's website, sjconline.ca, and click on Chaplaincy under Departments, but I'll also put that link on our site, slmedia.org podcast. Here now is this year's St. John's College Worship Band with their newest single, Everywhere I Go. Jesus, I offer you, I give you thanks and praise. Longing to serve you now, forever and always. Whenever I drift away, reach out and pull me close. My heart belongs to you, through every high and low. Through every
You're listening to the St. John's College 2023 Worship Band with their song from that year, Everywhere I Go. This is a special edition of the Saltonite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. For more of the Saltonite Hour and all kinds of great content, including watching Salt and Light Television, visit our website at slmedia.org. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Life Canada is a national association of educational pro-life groups that are dedicated to promoting and protecting the value of human life. They create resources and offer training and programming for their member groups. Their latest resource is a graphic novel titled The Gift. It hopes to reach North American adolescents and show them the consequences of teen pregnancy from the perspective of two regular teenagers. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by the president of Life Canada, Pat Wiedemer. Pat, welcome to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you so much, Pedro. This is wonderful to be invited. So before we talk about the, the gift, let's talk a little bit about your organization. Tell me a little bit more about Life Canada. Well, as you introduced, Life Canada is a national organization. We have several member groups that uh, have been uh, supporting us and helping us through the ages. We were founded in year 2000. Okay. And as an agency to reach out specifically to the member groups to provide them with the uh, um, guidance, resources, and the whole purpose being of that, they can be more effective on the ground where they are. Um, why recreate the wheel when we can uh, work together and collaborate with all right. the good and creative genius that we have? Um, this should be for the benefit of all. And that's part of our function to collaborate efforts, to inform, and to provide insight and tactical resources and materials that they might need and otherwise not perhaps easily get uh, on their own accounts. Right. That makes perfect sense because so often these pro-life groups are very small and do not have all the resources, so it makes sense to work together. Um, is it some pro-life groups are dedicated to advocacy or political lobbying, let's say, but your member groups are specifically working on educational. That's yes. the focus, education? Yes, absolutely. As you've rightly recognized, the branches of the pro-life movement, we have the political side, yeah. we have the activist side, the educational side, and even into that, you also have the pastoral side, where oh, your pregnancies, care centers, and so forth fall into, where they're, they're working specifically with the women. Our groups um, and Life Canada, I fondly describe us as we sell smoke detectors. <laughs> before okay. the fire breaks out and you need a fireman right. to come to your aid to alleviate the crises isn't it better that we you know all install smoke detectors in our houses and um uh, we're well aware of any danger signals coming in the way, uh, coming down the pipeline so that's more what educational bodies do it's uh cultural outreach to educate those who are not even directly affected by the crises at hand. Mm -hmm. They may or may not be, but in uh, the case, we want to reach them before a crisis breaks out so that people are um, empowered and uh, prepared to speak words of life, to give advice and assistance and know where you can help people uh, who are in the midst of a crisis. And so that's mm -hmm. mainly what the educational bodies are functioning on and working towards. And with the many changes in our country and the rapid changes in our culture, mm -hmm. this is a never-ending task 
that we have to be on top of these things of how do we respond as a people of life and specifically as Catholics or within our own denominational belief systems. Right. I like that image of the smoke alarm. Um, tell me about the gift, this particular graphic novel. It's a very, I don't think it's unusual, but maybe in the pro-life community, it's an unusual to have a resource like this. How did the idea come about? And, uh, and tell us a little bit about it. Well, the idea came about because um, there's been so many efforts and so much uh, time spent on trying to reach our youth. It's one of the central topics of how do we reach the next generation. And it seemed when we looked at many of the things that have been do- been people have been doing, mm-hmm. that they weren't having the impact that they want. And uh, we thought we need to bring out something that has never been done before. And in a late night session, we came up with, why don't we write a comic book and uh, put it out in a manner that youth are are going to be receptive to. Mm -hmm. So we created a story. Um, Neil Thompson is the other author of this story. And he is a school teacher at Grace Christian School here in Charlottetown. Um, he has his hand on the pulse of all the kids in his school. So he's got that direct insight. I'm a a mom of five. So I've, I've raised my kids and know what they think and do and what they're like. So together we put our uh, insight together of how, what would happen in a family where you have two really good kids. They're in love. They're absolutely convinced they're going to get married. Everything Mm -hmm. pure and beautiful, um, is there. Um, what's off is their timing. They're only in grade 10 and uh, they give themselves to each other in in the hopes that this is going to be the very best thing. And in their youthful innocence, they don't realize there's more to this gift and uh, their arrival of a child is Mm -hmm. now there. So what are they going to do? And sadly, the fact is that if a couple is in such a situation, they will be offered abortion as their first Uh, go-to point that's Mm -hmm. what everyone that's the world at large will say that Mm -hmm. placing a child for adoption seems like a momentous task where would one turn and even keeping the baby being the parent myself is almost unsurmountable to a to a young young couple if they don't have help Mm -hmm. so we wanted to walk through each of these options we chose the pattern of choice Mm -hmm. uh, in the book because that is the slogan word of our day and age well, yes, we do have choice. Okay, well, here here are the real choices. So the young reader, when looking at this, they'll have to pick um, which one should the couple choose. And of right. course, they're all side by side. So the um, a youth leader would, of course, go through all options. And you can compare saying, what happened? What was what was good about one? Why did they choose this over right. that? And right. Uh, so there's uh, consequences to each one. It's not sugarcoated. Uh, mm-hmm. Each decision is very difficult uh, for the young couple. And at the end, we have some reflective questions and a little synopsis there saying why why one choice was not acceptable. And the reason being is that a human life died. Right. And this is why, although abortion is presented as just one of the options that people have today, fact is we are ending the life of a child in the womb. Mm-hmm. And this is deeply deeply affecting on one, I mean, the child actually dies, a life is lost, but it's also deeply affecting the young mother and, of course, the young father in here. They will never forget the life of this child. They will always have this with them. And um, 
we need to speak full truth, not just partial truths. We have to speak full truths and certainly not uh, withhold information, which uh, often happens in the secular right. discussions on this. So yeah. we wanted to present in a new and novel way that kids would be challenged and dignified by saying, you know, you you can think about these things and you can come to the conclusions of what is good and what is right uh, by thinking and using your reason and your God-given talents. Exactly. And they can do that by looking at the graphic novel and choosing mm -hmm. the three different yes. endings that will show the different consequences of the behavior of Josh and Casey. So obviously you want to get this into the hands of young people. Um, mm -hmm. What are your hopes for the graphic novel? Are you hoping that we're going to, I mean, is it education? Is it as simple as that? Should it be done in youth groups and schools? What are your hopes? I would love to see it done in, in every single church, <laughs> yeah. every single youth group, even sports groups, you name it, wherever youth are together, because youth talk about all sorts of things all the time, wherever mm -hmm. they are. So we have to meet them where they're at. That's one of the first things that uh, you need to know if you're going to enter into a serious conversation with someone, find out where they're at right now and uh, take it from there, so to say. Um, the goal right now for Life Canada is to do a mass run uh, publication run to provide mm -hmm. 50,000 copies for free delivery and distribution, uh, free distribution, I should say, to member groups, pro-life groups, church communities, parishes, and Christian schools are mm -hmm. would be their first targets. If right. we could get them into the public school system, even better. Right. Um, this can only be done by raising enough money to be able to uh, publish uh, this large of a assortment of uh, comics. Um, the reason why we want to do it through donor benefits and through the support of our members and churches and like-minded groups is that so many of the smaller pro-life groups, as you just mentioned a moment ago, are too tiny right. and cost is prohibitive. So we hope to encourage those groups who uh, are in the position to be able to support financially uh, the publication of a large run of these comics books. Um, from the institutional sides, our knights, Catholic women, right. parishes, um, we've written to every bishop, we've written to every Baptist uh, <laughs> uh, organization, head, Pentecostals, you name oh, it. Wonderful. We've, 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 there are over a thousand promo copies out oh in gosh. Canada right now. Okay. Uh, for people to review, I didn't. I want them to see it and feel it and touch it and imbibe it and say this is something we have not yet had in our um, uh, resources for not only for the youth, your main target right there mm -hmm. to get it to the youth of hand so they can start making, uh, you know, decisions for life, but also for our parents and youth leaders, pastors, priests, so forth, who are don't have a resource like this in their reservoir of how to talk to these uh, mm -hmm. to their youth about these kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. So we've made it open enough that anyone can look at this. Any of my materials, that's something I'm very adamant on in Life Canada. It must be coffee table ready. So that if it's on your coffee table and your exactly. three-year-old child comes exactly. in or your 99-year-old grandmom comes in, whoever it is, will exactly. look at this and say, oh, this is appealing. What is this? Yes. And, um, you know, honey attracts more than vinegar. <laughs> so Absolutely. Um, we want people to take it into their hands and say, gosh, I want to talk to this 
uh, to my my teen, my grandkids, yes. my my own kids yes. about this. Okay, so easy enough before Christmas, everybody listening, either individuals, <laughs> that's one way mm-hmm. you can donate. But I love the idea that organizations, your Knights of Columbus Council or CWL or a diocese, they can also mm-hmm. purchase in bulk and send a donation to Life Canada, lifecanada.org and support mm-hmm. this new uh, this new resource, Pat. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today. And uh, thank you so much for what you do and for telling us about it today. Thank you so much. It's been a delight to be invited. Thank you. Pat Wiedmer is the president and board chair at Life Canada. You can learn more about their work and purchase the gift or send your donation at their website, lifecanada.org. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the program, go to our website, slmedia.org podcast. Here now is John Paul Von Arks with He's Different. When I was 14, my mom told me that she was pregnant with him. And she and my dad were worried because the new life inside was different. Five months later, when I was in school, my brother was born. And I got the news the night when I held him. The very first time he was different. von Arks with He's Different. We first met John Paul von Arks in June 2019. 
John Paul grew up playing in a family band and then performed with the country band Back Country Roads as well as with the Catholic band The Thirsting. John Paul is working on a new album and has just released a video to his song that we just listened to about his brother with Down syndrome, He's Different. And so I'm happy to welcome John Paul Von Arks back to our program. John Paul, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hey, thank you so much. It's so good to be here. So I hate I hate to start with this question that I've been asking everybody probably now for the last two years, but what were those pandemic years for you? I mean, everything changed and you almost like, <laughs> I think everybody I speak to is like they had to reinvent themselves. Like, but you got married. Well, no, you were married already, I think. Um, no, I, no, I got married. I, that, yeah. Talk about reinventing yourself. <laughs> okay. So you, you, okay. You got married during COVID. So it was, we got engaged, uh, just a few months. Well, let me think we got engaged. Uh, so that was 2020. We got engaged. Yeah. You better get it right. <laughs> it's a good get thing. My right, wife is Sarah right not going to be, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me just, uh, let me think here. Um, yeah, we got married in 2021. So we were engaged. No, yeah. we were engaged in 2021. So but like early 2021, we got engaged late 2021, we got married. So we, I was, you know, we were dating in the midst of COVID, all my events canceled. I had a job, uh, open up at Franciscan university. So uh, like a ton of things happened in COVID to be honest. Yeah. So. Well, that's good, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, and now you have a daughter too. So that's, that's super, super cool. Um, tell me about the job at Franciscan. So what are you doing there? Yeah. So when, when COVID hit, so I was pretty much full-time on the road. I was doing about 120 nights a year of mostly country gigs. Yeah. Um, and then also some worship gigs here and there. Um, but I, so all, all of those events canceled pretty much within the space of a week. So I was scrambling, I was doing, um, some painting. I was fixing up, uh, an old cottage for my grandparents were trying to sell in Wisconsin. I was, yeah. you know, I was just, scrambling trying to trying to get by and then um i eventually was like i, I can't keep doing this but i don't have events uh, it, was, it was actually it was really really hard transition because my music stuff was really starting to gain a lot of traction yeah. and and then um so i called father dave pavanka who's the president at yep. franciscan university and uh, i said hey hey man here's the deal like <laughs> i i know him i'm like I'm either going to start working at like the Walmart distribution center in Steubenville yeah. just to get income coming in, or I can come and work at the university and, you know, I have a heart for the mission. I'd much rather, you know, put my time and attention toward serving a mission that I can really get behind as opposed to just working a job to make money. Uh, but I'm, 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 I need, I need to make money and I need to work a job. So I just called him the next day. Um, one of his uh, associates, another one of the TOR friars on campus, uh, he called me and he said, Hey, we have a job. It'd be mentoring musicians on campus, uh, basically crazy. running yeah. music ministry. Yeah. With another staff. Member, wow. So. Wow. Totally providential. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and obviously what, what you do best, I, I guess, you know, I'm, it's, it's music and leading worship. Yes. Did you find that that time was a good time for you to be writing and composing at the same time? Um, I would say, um, it was so much life transition that I had a few songs come out, but honestly, I, it wasn't restful for me. It, no. There was a lot of transition. So I didn't, it was, it was a stressful time and I wasn't able to, um, to write as much. I write more in times that are a little bit more even keeled okay. for me, uh, where there's more like kind of a cathartic, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, life 
uh, rhythm, so to speak. So I, I wasn't writing that much. The one song I, I sent you to review, the Not Always There song, I wrote that right at the height of the pandemic coming because I was dating my now wife, uh, yeah. but I was you know living in Wisconsin. She was living in Ohio, but I wrote that song just is saying like, you know, it's, it's amazing that she still loves me, even though I'm not always there. It was the first time I really experienced that type of, of love from another person in that way, you know? And so, um, so I did write that song, but in general, that was an exception, I'd say. Yeah. Right. So then the songs that you've been writing for the new album that's coming out, you'd say you're, you're writing them now, like after COVID that's what's where they, where they came from. Yeah, most of them have been since COVID, but I would say like right in the onset of COVID when things okay. were crazy. I didn't, that was like that first 2020, 2021. I wasn't writing that much, but um, 2022 through uh, this year, I've been writing a lot more music as my life has settled a little bit. And would you say that there's something different about your writing from, let's say, five, six years ago? Yeah, I think I just, there's so much more perspective. I, there was a yeah. lot of, uh, a lot of loss since my last album too. I had one of my brothers passed away tragically in an accident. So mm -hmm. I just think like this past five years really has just been a, a deep, a deep search for like, Lord, where are you in the the daily and in, in, in grief? Where are you in the, the celebrations? Where are you in um, world pandemics? Yeah. Where, where are you in, you know, having a new daughter? And, and I mean, that's yeah. the beautiful, the, like, that's just so sweet. I, I think I'm entering more of a season of, the Lord uh, starting to kind of give more blessings, which has been so wonderful. But I think a lot of my songwriting now is just um, reconciling, you know, our lived experience here um, with just like the the perfect and, and beautiful um, deposit of faith that we find in the catechism. Um, there's these beautiful spiritual maxims and, the, and all these spiritual works that I, I find so much solace in. But mm -hmm. then it's like, how do I actually apply that to, my daily lived experience in my own human weakness and learning how to be married, learning how to be a dad, learning how to yeah. be a good dad. And yeah. so like yeah. all of those things. So I think it's, it's like a lot more, obviously I write more on the country side of, of, of things, music, mm -hmm. singer, songwriter, storytelling, but yep. it's, it's plumbing the depths of like how, like what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. Where are you in the daily yeah. Lord? Like that's, that's where my songs have been lately. Well, that's good. That's good to know that the older we get, the the more profound our <laughs> our creativity is. That that that's a good progression. Um, I don't remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, of you making videos before, but I know you have a new video now that seems to be getting a lot of traction. Yeah, yeah, we released it just over a week ago, um, and it's been really, I think. Yeah, I mean, just this morning, like my family group chat's like, hey, it's like ten thousand views on YouTube, which oh, is wow. like a huge for for someone in my level i mean i was like that's awesome and it's yeah. not about the numbers but it's really cool to see a project that's actually really resonating with people you know um we haven't been doing any like sponsored ads or marketing pushes really but i called uh i called a bunch of people about this particular project because it involves my brother who has special needs down syndrome so mm -hmm. i actually called about 90 people all around the country that i knew that have a heart for these kind of things and just Wonderful. said can we jump on a zoom call and, and share it out the day it's released? And so all these different networks around the country have, have shared it, but it's been person to person. So it's been really cool to see this music video featuring my brother who has down syndrome, the two of us just doing ordinary things together to show the dignity of people with special needs. And just to show like give, give hope to expectant parents is ultimately my goal saying there's, there's so many parents that, you know, through genetic testing, which is, um, 
wonderful. Like they find out their baby has down syndrome and there, there's just a battle to be fought there. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's like, uh, what do we do? And there's pressure saying, you know, like, you know, eliminate the problem or so to speak. And so I, through, through abortion, of course. Uh, yeah. and so I just wanted to put like a really neutral, not preachy, accessible, beautiful depiction of like, Hey, this is my brother. He has down syndrome. He's incredible. I wish I was more like him in many ways. Right. And this is a song, of course, and we heard it here last time you we were on the show. Well, we yeah. just heard it now too, but uh, it's not a new song. So what made you want to do, make the video now? Well, well it's uh, so it's kind of giving, I mean, as I mentioned, I, a lot has happened in my life in the last mm -hmm. like four or five years. And this video was actually shot four years ago and it was set to oh, release. Wow. Yeah, it was set to release one week after COVID hit. And like Fox and Friends in New York picked it up. They said, hey, we want to put this on national television. Um, I mean, they reached out to me. I didn't even reach out, you know, to them. And I mean, it was just like a crazy amount of momentum. And it just everything was going like I was just getting calls left and right. Um, but then the world just shut down and I chose not to release it because it mm -hmm. was like, this is just going to get buried by all of this other stuff just flying around in the news and the world. And, and then, you know, then all my events canceled. And I just, I felt like God was saying, just, just trust me, but wait, trust me and wait. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really painful because I was so excited. All my dreams were like, Oh, like this music thing might actually be working out. And, uh, right. but, but this yeah. was the time now. Um, and I, I really believe that it's, it's like during respect life month, Mm -hmm. and, as well as Down Syndrome Awareness Month here in the month of October. But um, in a particular way, just having my wife uh, help me with the release and the logistics and press releases and things like that. I have a base now personally, and I think the Lord needed, like, if this is to gain some traction, and it, it seems like it, it has been and I will continue to do so. I have, like, you know, God has been so faithful in saying, hey, I have a partner for you. I have someone that you mm -hmm. can be in all of this with because it's a lot of pressure when when people like fox news call and it's like okay we yeah, that's like a that's a lot of pressure and and i i don't do that well alone and now i have like my mm -hmm. my partner um sacramental grace i have a daughter to keep me humble and grounded and uh so i just i i can't really describe to you how grateful i am that this was postponed until now well and i'm glad that uh we could wait so that we can tell people about it now and uh we're going to put a link on our site so people can find the video easily um john paul thank you thank you thank you for reaching out and it's good to see you and and uh glad to know that there's more music coming um, yes but we like what we're listening to so uh god bless and congr congratulations on the marriage the the daughter thank the you job everything 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 that's <laughs> happening in your life congratulations and yes thank you many so blessings much. to be grateful for Oh, you're so kind. Thank you. You can learn more about John Paul Von Arx and his music at his website, johnpaulvonarx.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And to listen to this full interview or any other part of this program, go to that same website, slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is John Paul Von Arx with Not Always There. Oh, love is the heart of the world. special girl but love I don't know how to hold oh, oh but there's no doubt in my mind that nothing good comes easy in life and I know that
that she saw in me what I could not find. Oh, and there's a fortnight of waiting till I see her face. Until then, I don't think I'll sleep. She's so good at waiting for me to come home, though my love is imperfect and You're listening to John Paul von Arcs with his single, Not Always There. And that brings us to the end of this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to come see us at our website, slmedia.org. That's where you can find out all about Salt and Light Media and what we do, and also where you can watch Salt and Light Television. If you hear anything on this program and you want to comment or just to let us know that you like the show, why don't you reach out to me? You can find me on all social media platforms and you can email me, pedro at slmedia.org. Thank you for being with us today. I'm Deacon Pedro. <laughs>